about education. It really is education. It's not about education in the book so much anymore. We all know the history was screwed up. We all know that. It's we have to learn really what's going on so we can feel our people so that we can respond. We know all the issues that we need to address. Now, okay, so what do we do about it? How do we act on it? How do we help? Can, can you imagine how long black people have hung together with the faith and the hope that something's going to change and it's going to be better? Unbelievable endurance, unbelievable uh, competitiveness to just keep hanging. I don't know. I mean, I'm so moved by all of that. I can't even imagine how they've been able to do it under these circumstances. They've been terrible. But they're still hanging and they're still hoping. And racism's going out the door. It's got to be gone. We got to get, it's got to be out the frickin' door and get rid of it. It's got to go. And we got to figure out the way to get that done. And it needs to be spoken to all the different issues, whether it's education, whether it's health uh, considerations, whether it's uh, uh, voting rights, whatever, all of the different elements that are so screwed up. We need to go attack everyone. We know what they are. They're out there. We got to stop the people that are getting in the way. Welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast, a podcast for you K Seahawkers focused on the Seattle Seahawks. Joining myself as ever, Stuart Court is Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm not so bad. My entire work industry had the arse pulled out of it for the second time in six months this morning, which is really pleasing, slash very much not pleasing. But apart from that, you know, we, we plod on. There's uh, the football season's back times two this weekend. So yeah. double pain to come. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Yeah, it doesn't really feel like it feels like it's been away, but it doesn't really feel like it's coming back, does it? I know. I'm almost, I can't really believe that like the NFL is actually happening again. Like yeah. you've had the training camp and the draft, and it's like, yeah, but surely COVID will just banjacks the whole situation. And uh, here we are talking about fucking depth charts and injury reports. <laughs> Amazing. And, and not just happening, but the Seahawks are traveling across country to make it happen. Hugely sensible decision to do yeah. do something like that. Yeah, for the first time in what five times a season, as well. Obviously, we'll touch on all the Falcons Week One shenanigans and what could happen in the resplendent dome down in Atlanta, Georgia. But does cut downs happen over the weekend? Not really any surprises. Nothing we can really comment on because there's no preseason to comment. We're kind of going off coded language from all the journalists who were able to access VMAC, but. The big news of the weekend, Adam, that Clowny Watch came to a shuddering, disappointing, weird end when all the numbers came out. But Jalen Clowney was, in fact, after all of that, a one-year rental. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're going to look at it one of two ways and we'll never know the answer until someone comes out with it. But either Clowney really didn't want to sign with Seattle or Seattle really didn't want to sign... Clowney, because both of the options were very much on the table. The money was hardly prohibitive, really, if you think about the money they've spent on shite uh, <laughs> this off-season. Um, and in fact, the, the money's still available. I mean, ultimately, you could very easily have uh, you know, got rid of Jacob Hollister and had enough cap space to sign Clowney. So um, I don't really understand what's gone on there. Um, there's parts to me that, you know, a lot of the comments since has been, oh, three sacks, three sacks. You hear, I've heard three sacks a lot. And I wonder if that may have played on Clowney's mind a bit and he's a little bit frustrated in the fact that the Seahawks scheme has kind of led him to be talked about as a, a three-sack guy, which I think if he 
was able to play more selfishly, he wouldn't have been. And if you watched him, he was disruptive. Yeah. So there's part of me that thinks maybe Clowney just wanted no bit, no piece of Seattle as much as anything else. But I guess it's impossible to say, really. Yeah. Also, I think the Mike Vrabel thing is a very real thing. Everyone talks about Pete Carroll being, we've heard it from Bruce Irving, we heard it for the two days he was back from Paul Richardson as well, how <laughs> enjoyable it is working and playing under Pete Carroll. But Mike Vrabel clearly had his best year with Mike Vrabel and so kind of I think that is a big part of it I think I'd have been more disappointed if he'd gone to New Orleans and just mm. yeah but I think going to Titans you can, kind of, I can, you can kind of reason with it but it does sound like the Seahawks stuck to their number when they've stuck to their numbers I mean they stuck to their number with Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman and let's be honest Clowney was fun but he, he didn't have the impact that those two had so it kind of isn't that much of a surprise if, if you lay it all that way is it? It's not a surprise in that sense, but it is a surprise at how thin that defensive line looks in terms of stars and you know, sacks. I mean, yeah. even when, when Shaquem Griffin gets cut and is now back on the practice squad, but, you know, he's probably one of the few guys that I would have thought is guaranteed, you know, a few, you know to actually get to the quarterback at some point in the yeah. season. Um, I, I am pretty concerned about how that line is shaping up. I have to say, I, you know, Maybe there's a coaching masterclass about to go on, but <laughs> it does concern me obviously slightly if you just look at the, the pure names and numbers attached to it. It, it, don't, it don't look great. No. And also they did add DeAndre Walker from the Titans who the Titans cut to make way for Javon Clowney. And that's just sometimes how shit rolls out, I guess. But um, uh, yeah, the, the, the pass rush is going to be an issue until it isn't, isn't it? I mean, it's all if, but some maybes kind of a Bruce Irving could do a job. Jaron Reed does a lot. And Jaron Reed, Puna Ford as well for an undrafted free agent. He kind of flitted around more than Sean last year. Yeah. He's, he's, there's, a, there's a hell of a lot. I mean, they haven't replaced Al Woods, who's obviously opted out, but he's not here anymore. And that position, that veteran presence has been a massive part of um, Seahawks defense, isn't it? And it's not just not there three, four days out from the season. I mean, I guess they think that Irvin and Mayoa can do that. Um, there is the other point that, you know, we've said in the past, you know, look at Dwight Freeney, they signed him and he got three sacks in, in two games, I think. So maybe there's the thought that, you know, as with wide receivers in fantasy, you, know, you can just grab a guy that will get you a sack, you know, yeah. if need be. And, and it's a depth thing. Um, I do think they're obviously very tied to this idea that the end of last season was like the end of 2011. Um, or 2012, sorry, and like, you know, you just need a few tweaks and add the depth. And I, I don't necessarily buy that. I don't think the talent is quite there, but, you know, they put a lot of eggs in the Jamal Adams basket and that's going to come back to bite them financially after what happened with, with Jalen Ramsey today. Um, yeah, I think, I can't work out if they're win now or if they're trying to build for the future. Uh, I don't really see what's quite going on at the moment. No, the, yeah, I think Jamal with Clowney would have been right. Okay, yeah, Maybe, like buckle up kind of thing. But it's kind of yeah, this kind of like it's been a weird purgatory of on the defensive side. And on the offensive side, they seem to weirdly in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, Paul Richardson came back for a Starbucks and a hmm. and a pint of manis, I think, and then went back again. And obviously, Josh Gordon is 
in the area, signed, but waiting for reinstatement. Doesn't appear like that might ha- that's going to happen this week. So, presumably he's not on the fifty-three as a result, right? Yeah, I think he's. I think he's. Yeah, the contract is there. It's signed. It just needs to be processed once the reinstatement comes. And obviously, the NFL act quickly, as Jaron Reed could attest to last year. But the offensive side kind of seems to be getting a lot of plaudits from the outside of DK, Tyler, Russell Wilson's getting all the MVP conversation, even though it is still only December. So like the offense, it, it's all kind of geared up to be flip reverse kind of thing, isn't it? It feels like anyway. Yeah. I, I, I think so much of that defense is going to rest on what, what sort of pressure that front four can give. And I know they talk about how, you know, the secondary can, you, know, you can get secondary sacks and coverage sacks or whatever, but it, it's not generally kind of just average guys that get sacks, even when the coverage is good. Like you, you could argue there's no talent on that, you know, off, off the edge. You, you could argue that. And I don't think you'd be, you know, ridiculed for saying that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just, Sunday could be very, very illuminating. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's going to be the case. Uh, league wide, anything else caught your attention in Seahawks? And obviously, Quentin Dunbar, his name is coming across police scanners again with text messages and stuff. Pete Carroll said earlier today that he will practice today and tomorrow, so they clearly seem pretty assured of his clean name, but it's not again on that defensive side. It's not ideal. Trey Flowers is already in that position and obviously has the playbook in hand and everything. Quinton Dunbar is already playing catch-up. It's not ideal yet again, though, back there, is it? No, I think Trey Flowers is going to win the job. I've, got, I've just got a feeling that they they like what he, you know, a bit of continuity back there and I think they want to give him every chance to sort of give him every chance to win or lose the job. I think they probably know what they've got in Dunbar. They've probably got a starting caliber guy, but they've always been quite hot on their guys, especially the ones that they've trained up and mm-hmm. turned into into their project. So yeah. I, I have a feeling Trey Flowers will start on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, the Leno Hill is still on the roster. That kind of his <laughs> points to all of that. And Tedrick Thompson lingered probably for one more pass play than he should have as well. Um, but what do, what do you make of all that Russell Wilson MVP? Chelsea, the, the cliche at this point is he's never received a um, an MVP vote, let alone get anywhere near winning the award. But it, it, it kind of feels like, I think we've touched on it, through the off seasons, well, this kind of feels like a team and a roster set up that if they're going to do anything, that Russell Wilson should be front and centre in that conversation come December, January, shouldn't he? If they make the playoffs, he's probably going to have to be. Um, I mean, the, the one year that he absolutely went bananas with with Baldwin, that was the year Cam Newton won the MVP, wasn't he? I think, 2015? Yeah. Yeah, because then the year after was Matt Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Uh, and people like to get the Knicks in a twist about the, the Wilson thing. I, I could not give a flying <laughs> fuck if he ever gets an MVP vote, to be honest. Oh. Yeah, unless it's going to be because he's so good that it makes my team better. But from this, you know, the, the rooting for a player perspective, could not care less. Um, but I don't think there's ever been a season where you could say he has been the best quarterback in the league. And you know, I think maybe last year it was on but his form kind of fell off a cliff really in, in, in a couple of really important games we needed yeah. to be good. That's obviously not helped by the, the scheme and some personnel around him. But I think if he was ever going to do it, 
it's set up quite nicely for him this year with the uh, the amount of talent around him, no crowd noise, home or away. Um, just trying to think, quite a few dome or turf road games this year. Yeah. Yeah, I think Buffalo and Washington. Miami, Miami's not a dome, is it? Is that got a roof? Uh, no, maybe, no, it doesn't have a roof, I don't think. Uh, the Washington turf, yeah, not bad. We always play well in Washington. He's never played in Buffalo. No, he hasn't. They played in Toronto eight years ago. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see what happens there. But is yeah. Buffalo? Buffalo must be turf. Yeah, it must be. Because of the weather there. Yeah, it must be. So, yeah, you know, I think he's fairly well set up to be, uh, you know, to have a, have a have a great crack at it. Um, so- whether he'll win it, or even get a vote, God knows. Um, but as I say, on my list of priorities, I've got a cushion that's got a feather sticking out of it that I can see in front of me, and then just underneath that is whether Russell Wilson gets an MVP vote. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, also, also outside of us, one of the guys who's going to be thrown to DK Metcalf is getting a lot of love, also. But like, he's possibly the most exciting part of this team, just in pure like where he is now to where he could be week seventeen, isn't he? I mean, he's his ascension is only just beginning, and it's like it's the most exciting part of what this season could bring alongside what we what we can see from Jamal maybe yeah what we did with DK yeah yeah I mean his his numbers I think matched fairly favourably to the rookie Julio Jones so if that's not if that's not a good place to start I, I don't know what is so um, yeah if he if he can I mean if he can have the production he had last year just kind of straight up that would almost you, you might take that actually yeah. if you offered him you mean the same as he gave you last year yeah. you'd probably take that um, and I, I think you're right I think that the, he's looking to be only, only going one way with it so quite interested to see how that how that progresses yeah uh, any thoughts hopes aspirations for week one in Atlanta it's kind of it's going to be a weird like the tackling is going to be an experience I think to witness and watch but it's, all, it's like, like we said, I, I can't really believe it's actually happening. No, I, I said to you on in a WhatsApp group that I think every position in the, in the team, quarterback aside, has been improved you know, pretty well over the off-season, apart from the two lines of scrimmage that I personally think are at best a wash with the offensive line, yeah. but probably both worse than they were last year. And you know, there's so much that would suggest that those two lines of scrimmage are the dominant part of the game that I think it's going to be quite interesting to see, you know, how that manifests itself in actual play, especially, you know, in, in play where there's not been preseason, there's not been real practice that's going on. You're thinking about the experience and continuity and the side's probably going to be better, but you know, I don't know this, but I would imagine that pass rushing should be the easiest thing just to kind of get back into because you're just putting your hand in the dirt and running as fast as you can Offensive line cohesion is probably going to be one of the hardest things to pick up, having not played any games. They've not got that. And they've not really got the pass rushes that you could say, right, well, he's just going to eat on, on, on week one. So yeah. I'm just really worried that they're going to you know, lose the sack battle by like four on, on Sunday. And we're going to look back and just think, oh my God, is this really, you know, th- this might be an irreparable thing. I mean, 
Seahawk fans are very optimistic, always are. Seahawk media is pretty optimistic, apart from some of the analytics brigade. But have you seen any like national media that have been particularly optimistic about the, how the Seahawks are going to look this season? I, I haven't seen a lot, and you know they don't, maybe don't know the team as well as as well as others do. But you'd think there'd be some buzz. I think, uh, uh, I think if the Seahawks were in the AFC, there'd be a lot more buzz. Mm-hmm. I think the NFC there is legitimately especially the West. Yeah, like you could lose all six division games. You could make an argument for all four teams winning the division. You'd be like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, agree. But, but and also, but then again, but even outside that, you've got. I mean, what eight teams? You could easily say, yeah, they're going to be again. You could say, yeah, they're going to be number one seed in the NFC. But if yeah, so I think that kind well, of who's not Carolina are not. Probably not, no. The Giants are not. No. The Redskins, the, the, well, fo- sorry, the football, football team, team, the football team are not. not. But you uh, could make a case for any of, uh, probably the Lions, the Bears are not. No. The Lions are getting some weird amount. They're of, getting a lot of buzz, but they're not going to win the division. No, they're, no. They're not, but, but you could probably make a case for every other team. Yeah. But the AFC is, like I asked you in our group chat the other day, like who's third favourite in the AFC? And it's mm. Buffalo. Well, before this is before Clowney, some might have changed, but it's Buffalo. I mean, I would not have put that. I mean, that's a, another weird one. But the AFC is it's a two, two Cam Newton um, reliant three horse race. And it's like the season hasn't really started. I mean, I know that offence and the Patriots is not good. But that defense is still ridiculously good, though. So yeah, but yeah, I think that's kind of why it's, it's like this. It's more of a hushed tones around the Seahawks, it's just because there's only so much conversation to go around, even in the twenty-four-seven, three-six-five news. So, how, how do you think they look? I, I I think we'll win the NFC West. Really? Yeah. I think the Niners will struggle with a hangover. Um, I'm not too sure about their secondary outside of Sherm. I mean, the Rams have got Goff, and I think the Cardinals are. <laughs> I don't know. I, I yeah. I I would not be surprised if it's Seahawks, Cardinals, Niners, Rams. Because Card- I, mean, I probably agree with you, but I just wonder if like winning this division is going to be like a ten and six job. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not speaking like thirteen and three with like oh five and whatever it was and. 2013 but I do think we'll win this division I think uh, yeah I, I can't point to any reason why I just think we will I think the, the other teams have got more to overcome than we have because Kyle Murray is uh, as good as he looked last year he's still somewhat of an unknown Larry Fitzgerald is going to be Larry Fitzgerald they've got not Hopkins they've got Buda Baker on defence and Chandler Jones but that is about it. I mean, Kenyon Drake looked all right, but I mean, he's not, again, he's not really getting much buzz. The Niners and Rams are going to be hogtied by their quarterback, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then NFC. It's going to be interesting. Like, I know I'm coming across as negative. I'm actually really <laughs> looking forward to being positive for the season, it's, but it's, I no, just. It's, it's just like. 125 episodes, people know exactly how you're coming across. <laughs> well, it's just like, they spent 55... This yeah. was... The, who was it? Was it Ben Baldwin or Rob Staden? It's quite rare that the two of them you could say are so aligned, but they went into the offseason with the excitement of $55 million to spend. And a pretty cool free agency class in positions where they needed bodies. Yeah. O-line, and, Conklin and all that. And they've ended up with 
no players on that cap that you're excited by, but obviously they've traded a lot for the future. Yeah. Yeah, and that that trade capital is draft capital is TBD to be paid as well. Yeah, I mean, like you could have had you could have had Yannick Ngokwe, Calais Campbell, and AJ Bouye for I think a second, a third, and a fifth next year. Yeah, like if you had Yannick Ngokwe and Calais Campbell added to last year's team, I mean that you'd be with or without Clown, I think you'd be you'd, you'd be buzzing about that. Yeah, I mean, Calais Campbell is someone long heralded by, especially John Schneider. I think obviously he was the first name mentioned when they drafted Malik McDowell before that went to uh, the Dogs. But yeah, it's week one. Let's uh, kick off on a positive note, shall we? The Falcons are somewhat. They're kind of they're in they're like as much as we can learn about the Seahawks, we're in a better state of play than the Falcons, aren't we? It's kind of like a purgatory that team feels to be in. Well, you feel like this is a, a completely defining season for their whole franchise. You know, yeah. Dan Quinn was given another chance after last year when he may have gotten away with one there. Um, Matt Ryan is tracking, I would say, to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, but he probably needs another hallmark season to really establish himself as one of the, you know, the, the really top guys. Julio Jones is obviously a frighteningly incredible player, but probably hasn't been. You know, he's almost become like one of the forgotten men after their Michael Thomas, Nuke Hopkins, even Devontae Adams. Kind of the, the buzz. I'm, I'm not talking about ability, but the, he's probably received less buzz he's over still, the last couple of years. He's still the best receiver in the league, I think. Uh, I think if it was, if you're lining them up as like Madden and everyone had the same quarterback, about then I'd probably agree with you in terms of raw talent but I feel like he's almost been, become a little bit of a, a slept upon guy from a, a, a national media standpoint so, oh yeah there's Julio as well um, you also got Calvin Ridley the running back situation has changed their completely I mean, they've got loads of talent uh, and this is not going to be by any means a cakewalk for for the Hawks I think if anything if there was a home crowd on opening day probably maybe give them the edge um, given how the Seahawks have fared on the road uh, to start the seasons in the last few years um, I think we sneak out with a win because of the kind of sanitised environment, but I don't think this is, you know, I think it's going to be a, a good test to start the season for sure, and a decent barometer of where we are, um, kind of, and how we're structured early on. Yeah. So what, obviously you talked on both sides of the trenches, what would be a more promising stat to read on Sunday? Obviously they've got Tat McKinley, Grady Jarrett, Dion Jones, Keanu Neal, um, Dante Fowler I think is in Atlanta now as well um, so they, they, they're going to be getting off to Russell Wilson or is it going to be if Carson Hyde DJ Dallas Travis Homer and they pop up 170 yards what's going to be the more encouraging stat that you come away with on Monday morning my, my mantra for the offensive line has always been don't be shit yeah because there's enough around you to that if you're not shit you'll be good so I think if we can keep it under two sacks I'll, I'll, be, I'll be happy with that well, in fact, I'd be very, very happy with that. Um, I mean, what what we give up when we three, four sacks a game on average last year? Yeah, but again, there's... Obviously, a couple of those are Wilson holding yeah, on to the yeah, ball yeah. and whatever, but if we can keep it under two sacks, or, or let's just say that, you know, let's just not have, let, not, let's not have more than one of the equivalent of when Joey Hunt kind of fell over last year and just got absolutely <laughs> obliterated. Like, let's have, I'll give you one, maybe two, 
silly plays that I can put under lack of continuity, but let's try and limit that and let's not have silly third down sacks and things like that. But to be honest, like projecting what's going to happen is so difficult given how tricky it's going to be for, yeah, we've seen nothing. We've got nothing, just got nothing to go on. Um, so yeah, what, what do you reckon that is, is going to be the positive gene? Do you get the running game going a bit of best indicator? Yeah, for a multitude of reasons. Also, Chris Carson's first action for nine months. I think we'll see a lot of Carson. I also think we'll see a lot of DJ Dallas. So, mm-hmm. guarantee he'll be inactive on Sunday. Now I said that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I think I think keeping Grady Jarrett quiet. He doesn't get sack numbers. He's kind of like Jaron Reed, clowny in that way. I don't think he's had a double-figure year, but he's literally legitimately one of the best players at that position. So keeping him quiet and not hearing his name mentioned every snap is going to be on O'Patty, Ethan Postage. We haven't even talked about that. He's the starting centre despite giving $8.5 million to BJ Finney in March. That's another kind of black mark on this weird off-season. But I think if... If, you, if we don't hear Grady Jarrett's name every other snap and the Seahawks move the ball, Russell Wilson can get the ball to DK and Olsen, I think it'll be massive. But I think Carson getting his feet wet and Grady Jarrett not is going to be encouraging. I think I think the Carson thing will be a bigger deal going forward. More for yeah, him than anyone else. I don't expect miracles, obviously, because no one does, and you don't expect them, you know, to come out with no huddle. But it'd be nice if the first quarter they put, you know, a drive together that you could be like, "All right, yeah, good to see that." Yeah, um, exactly. And and, and, you- and and it's it's a place where we have obviously 2012 ended there, but we won there in 2013. We won there eventually last year, so it's it's a place where we, we've kind of gone through all the emotions, and we've kind of seen every facet and character arc of this Seahawks team and the Pete Carroll, don't we? 100%. Um, so yeah, it'd be nice to, to you know, come out and be be proper instead of kind of fumbling their way through things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, score prediction? <laughs> going to go 28-23 Seattle. I'm going to go 30-23 Seahawks. I think Julio like Jones is going to be a problem. <laughs> Trey Flowers couldn't do my Marquis, but he's going to line up in a slot. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go a pick and maybe a pick six with Jamal Adams and one I mean, tackle for loss. I don't can't remember which one it was, but one of the guys in Good Morning Football picked him to win Defensive Player of the Year. I saw one. that. I think it was Carl Brandt. Yeah. So, well, it's Carl Brandt, maybe. Tricky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's our opinions on the Seahawks-Falcons games. I, earlier this week, spoke to Alan Sturk. He used to write for the Falcoholic, and he's, when I asked one of my friends who to reach out to in chat Falcons, he was his name at the top of the list. And here is our conversation on this week one matchup. So actual NFL action is happening in the year 2020. It seemed unlikely up until pretty much I started that sentence. And as I say, let's kick off the 2020 season uh, without fans, obviously, but down in Georgia against the Atlanta Falcons, a team we've had some infamous run-ins against over the, definitely in the Pete Carroll era, the Russell Wilson era, obviously 2012. Also, we we beat them on the way to the Super Bowl as well. But um, they kick off... They're our first opponents for this season. To help me preview and discuss 
what is awaiting the Seahawks down in Atlanta is Alan Sturk, who used to work for the Falcoholic. How are we, sir? I'm very good. Thank you for having me on. No worries. Um, obviously, we ask all our UK guys, uh, why the... So I'll ask you as well, obviously not UK. Um, but why, why and how the Falcons? I've... First game I ever watched was back in 1999. They were playing the Vikings in the NFC Championship. My brother's a Vikings fan, and I just saw them. That was just the first game, and I remember he was pretty devastated because Gary Anderson missed the field goal. Gary Anderson was this kicker that like, never missed a field goal, and he just missed it the most opportune time, and the Falcons capitalized on it. And I remember watching the Super Bowl, and since then, I, I always believed in loyalty. So I just kind of stuck with them. Uh, being from New York, it's like Jets, Giants. Yeah, those are two big fan bases. But, you know, uh, thankfully, neither franchises – I know the Giants have had a couple of Super Bowls, but neither franchise has really been all that consistent while the Falcons yeah. – you know, they've had a few runs. But I just always kind of believe in loyalty. That's how I got kind of connected with the Falcons, even through the, you know, the debacle with Vic and Petrino. But overall, <laughs> it's been a pretty fun roller coaster ride. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the, the whole aura of the Falcons seems a lot more fun than when you say the Giants and Jets. So that kind of fits in. Obviously, it helps when you've got arguably, well, for my money, the best receiver in the league in Julio Jones, though, I guess. Yeah, and it's like the Falcons kind of have this thing where they have some positions where they're really stabilized, whether it comes from quarterback player, receivers, or like corners, like even before Julio, you had Roddy White, or before Matt Ryan, you had Michael Vick. Uh, and there's a couple other skill positions we can mention, but like, the Falcons, even though there's been some down years, there's always been like a consistency of you know really good play at positions where that demand, I guess, the most attention, like quarterback and wide receiver. Yeah. Those are the positions where people watch the most. And for the most part, the Falcons have managed to nail it at least throughout the past 15 to 20 years. Yeah, the, the the players to put bombs on seats kind of deal, isn't it? With the exactly, and which is why I think they kind of signed Todd Gurley, even though I know no fans will be in for at least yeah. till I would say November. Even though uh, it's weird, like the South is kind of operating on their own terms. Like Florida's just <laughs> crazy right now, yeah. and Georgia is probably gonna be the next one to enjoy them. So I do think there will be fans. I don't know it will be in like November, I think, but I do know a big reason behind the Todd Gurley signing. Yes, Todd Gurley is a, you know, he has quite the resume, but he is from Georgia. And yeah. I, I, they were talking about how just selling seat, uh, selling tickets, and yeah, he's the talent that could do it. Yeah. So, um, what what is the, I mean from the outside? It doesn't seem to be very expansive expectations about the twenty twenty Falcons. There's a certain feel of almost dead men walking with Dan Quinn, the head coach, and all the rest of it. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, that's pretty good. To- that's a good description just because they didn't really alter much. Like the fact that they didn't really make any sort of major poetry changes or you know, organizational changes was kind of viewed as just a huge question mark, especially with yeah. their cutter being largely unpopular. And you know, Dan Quinn did admit to uh, uh, he definitely should have been handling defensive play point dues this year. He then eventually gave it to Raheem Morris and Jeff Ulbrick. And you know, there were some positive results in the second half of the season, but I do think it was a bit inflated playing Kyle Allen twice and Gordon Minshew will help stats. But you know, they did beat New Orleans and San Francisco on the road. So it was they, they, it was some quality wins, but uh, people talk about this whole defensive resurgence in the second half. I'm like, uh, it works both ways. But I just think the lack of enthusiasm comes from the lack of coaching changes or organizational changes. And, yeah, they were kind of active in free agency, but I'm not sure a combination of Todd Gurley, Dante Fowler, Hayden Hurst, I can't really – 
pinpoint. I can't really say these signings are going to literally change them from being a seven-win team to a ten-win team. Especially when you look at the differences in that NFC. The NFC is just so competitive. Yeah. Where there's like eight to nine quality teams, and even though there is an extra playoff spot this year, I just think you know with Tampa Bay and then you know New Orleans being a perennial contender, it's going to be very difficult for them. Yeah. So obviously Matt Ryan's entering is it thirteenth season, twelfth, thirteenth season. Oh man, I've lost count, but I'll, yeah. I'll go thirteenth. He's been in the league since two thousand eight. Yeah. So, so I mean, he's 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 not he's obviously established. He's probably pertinent likely, but he like he. He does exactly what it says in the ten kind of thing, and it's he's going to hit certain numbers, thresholds, yardage, touch, uh, passing touchdowns, and everything. It just that's just what that's the output he gives year on year out, isn't it? Yeah, you pretty much know what you can get from Matt Ryan. Now it comes down to I guess giving him the right protection. The last two seasons he's taken more than forty sacks, which is very concerning for his age. I think you see Matt Ryan struggle. It's when the pocket collapses. Like it's kind of weird that some of the more recent nationally televised games, Matt Ryan struggled, like especially yeah. when they play the Eagles, and you just see like the pocket collapses and he just gets rattled. And uh, look, he's thirty five now. I know it's kind of crazy seeing Matt Ryan as like this veteran because I always remember him as this baby-faced mm. guy coming to lead. But now he's getting up there in age, and it's just uh, and plus you also have to mention that this team is very pass-heavy. They really haven't put together much of a run game over these past two years. So yeah, Matt Ryan's taking a lot of punishment over the last two years. I still think he can play at a high level, but I think it's more about the infrastructure around him, which will decide if he's going to have uh, you know a lead season or more of an average season. Yeah, obviously protecting him. They only really addressed that with Matt Hennessy from Temple in the draft. He's, I mean, on the depth chart I've I've looked at, he's listed as guy, but he was a centre at Temple. Where, where, obviously, Alex Mack is still there though mm-hmm. at centre. So is that his? Is that his? Is he the heir to that throne, or is he just going to be either either side of him for the foreseeable? There has been any announced, but I know it's between him and James Carpenter who really underachieved last year. I think the Falcons are pretty much banking on Youngtown more, going back to that zone-blocking scheme that really benefited them during the Kyle Shands years. Because, yeah. lastly, they try to play more power with, like, some, like, Carpenter and Javon Brown and these, like, these 350-pound guys. And it was just kind of a disaster. And they're also, of course, look, they drafted two offensive linemen in the first round last year and Chris Lindstrom and Kel McGarry. So they're banking on both of them to take another step particularly McGarry, who struggled. So I think with the offense lines, it's more about staying healthy. I have high hopes for Lindstrom. But as for a left guard spot, I know has, Dan Quinn hasn't really alluded to much. But uh, I think just given how much they invest in the offensive line, it just has to get better. Because Jake Matthews is very good now. Even though he's on decline, this actually might be his final season. He's still someone that is above average. I think it's going to bank on you know, slide into left guard spot, but also the development of Lindstrom and McGarry, that right side, has been kind of a disaster for the past few seasons. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, uh, then you got Julio, as we mentioned, Calvin Ridley, who's who's been he's, he's quietly gone about his business at a pretty high level his first couple of years, but after that, it's at the wide receiver position. Is it just seems to me for someone who doesn't follow the Falcons as closely, just a bunch of names and unsure, unsure, legitimate, legitimate, legitimacy. Of if they're real or not, kind of thing. It has that vibe of not like, like that, that they could all be 
not real names, but I, I wouldn't know any different. <laughs> yeah, they're not exactly because they've all been either like sent from a person just like I actually yeah. do like Russell Gage. He's expected to be a slot receiver coming from LSU, but he was like this gadget player coming to the league. So uh, the fact that they're, they're going to slide him in there and then they have players like Christian Blake and a couple of others. But uh, for the most part, yeah, they're most known. Like they did sign Laquan Treadwell, but Laquan Treadwell's been a colossal bust ever since that league. And he just, he didn't even make the 53-man roster. So uh, I think right now Falcons are just more back on their young town. And look, they use the tight end position quite a bit, uh, especially that's a huge part of their cutters yeah. off. So I expect Hayden Hurst to get a lot of targets this season. Yeah, what's what's the expectations around Gurley and from Dan Quinn and uh, Dirk Curse? He's had issues. His athletic knees somewhat. He didn't have a well. He kind of flamed out in that Super Bowl for the Rams a couple of years ago and didn't yeah. really do much of that last year. And he still got pretty healthily paid by the Falcons. What's the expectations around him? I think they're going to feature him as much as possible, but they will have to monitor it between 18 to 20 touches because the one thing with the Falcons, they like using a lot of screens. So I expect Gurley not to get, say, 15 to 17 carries. He will probably get at least four to six targets. So I think they're going to try to use him as much as possible. But based on his past two seasons, they're going to have to monitor his reps because uh, this team, they're in a position where they pretty much have to make the playoffs. Otherwise, they're going to be serious coaching changes. So... Uh, like I like Ito Smith, I like Brian Hill. I think those are two decent backups, but I do expect really to get the ball quite a bit, whether okay. it be on those stretch runs or steam on screens a bit. But I would say probably around 20 to 22 touches a game. That's that's more than probably most people would expect from him, really, I guess, because last year was a struggle for him. Yeah, I think whether – like just based on just seeing reports and what they're expecting, I just think the Falcons, they have their own way of like featuring star talent. And, and I think they're more confident than most, but look, it's, it did seem clear like Sean McVay, especially during that playoff run, seeing like CJ Anderson getting all those carries. It was just pretty bizarre to see. But uh, I think they're also a little encouraged. I don't know if you noticed, but in like December of last year, Gurley ironically got more of an uptick. Cause I remember last year, like September, October, he was losing carries like Michael Brown and Daryl Henderson. But then I think when the Rams were really chasing a playoff spot, he was getting more work in December before eventually they faded away. So uh, um, my guess is they have really high expectations for him. They're going to use him as much as possible. I don't see them really managing unless they start to see injuries pop up, which it could happen this Sunday. It could happen in November or maybe. But I think with Gurley's track record, the Falcons need to expect – uh, at some point, Edo Smith and Brian Hill are going to use that running backs. Yeah, on the defensive side, obviously, most times when it comes to Seahawks games and our ever present issues or perceived issues on the airline, it always comes with the. We always seem to face one of the best defensive tackles, defensive end in the league. And that's no different this, this week to kick off 2020 with a pretty brand spanking new airline. At three of the five spots at least. Uh, Grady Jarrett, he's, I mean, he's a fifth-round pick, and that just seems like one of the biggest draft steals in recent years. Don't I mean because he's just he's hit the ground running and not looked back, has he? Yeah, he is a superstar. I I think him and Deion Jones like neck and neck as like the most valuable pieces of that Falcons defense. But I think the thing with Grady is just his consistency. Like year in year out, he's just 
constantly evolving because when he first entered the league, he was more of just this guy that would blow up runs. He was more of this run disruptor. Like he showed flashes as a fast rusher, but he wasn't that polished when it came to technique. But I would say since 2008, he's really come into his own. And, yeah. you know, I'm just wondering when is he ever really going to – because it's hard for a defensive tackle. People are like, oh, when's he ever going to get double-digit sacks? Like, oh, he's getting paid this much. Like, I don't see 10 sacks. And I was like, look, the supporting cast has not been great for quite some time. I would say since 2017, like the best of seasons, the Falcons D-lines have been pretty light, and they do look pretty light this year. So I don't know if he'll ever get the 10 sacks, but when it comes to like a per-snap basis, I don't think their main defensive tackle is that on Brady Jarrett's level. Yeah, he's he's ridiculous fun to watch. Who's, I mean, Marlon Davidson was a high pick this year. Is he, is he going to be lined up next to him? Is he more rotation guy early doors? He just started practicing. I know he dealt a knee sprain the past two weeks, so I think he's going to be moved in slowly. Maybe you'll see him if he's active, maybe 10 to 15 reps, but I think he's someone that's going to be brought along slowly. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned Deion Jones and directly behind them pretty much is Keanu Neal. They're both players who have battled knee injuries, but when they're on the field, they are, I mean, they're kind of linchpin start defense behind Grady, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Especially Deion, just because you see with the NFL now, they're shifting to wind these linebackers that are like 230, 235 pounds, and they could just fly all over across the field. Because everyone wants that coverage linebacker. Now they're talking about three down linebacker where these guys they could track down running back sort. They go down 15, 20 yards and Titans going down the scene, track them down. Deion Jones just his range and speed and just his overall instincts. Uh, I'm just shocked at how well he's developed in this league because I would say by his second year he was already established as a top five guy. Yeah. Obviously injuries kind of derailed him in 2018, but I thought he was quietly very good last year. Just that defense was like historically bad. So it was like he kind of got forgotten about, but I would still throw out there. I still think he's a tremendous player. He's just a little light where he could get taken out of a bit in the run game. But uh, yeah, him and Keanu Neal, they're pretty much the cornerstones and he's Keanu Neal's safety. He's played what three games the last two years, and he just suffered the most brutal injuries. And last year, I remember it was against the Colts, just not contact, mm-hmm. just kind of collapsed in the red zone. So uh, I would say he's kind of like the enforcer, but it's just I don't know where to put expectations because he's literally played three games last year. Yeah. So like his seasons have ended in September. I remember the Eagles game, which I was covering. That was the opening mm-hmm. night. Eighteen, he suffered Achilles, and then last year again. So. Uh, he, I, when healthy, I think he's right up there with the best, but I'm kind of modern expectations because two serious injuries, you don't know how that could change someone's career. Yeah, especially especially in a sport like this one as well. And then it's the first time for quite a few years where there isn't a true font in the defensive backfield. Obviously, someone who yeah. is local to the Seattle and went Washington was a Husky as well in college. But AJ Terrell was he was somewhat of a surprise pick in the first round back in April as well. When what's How's he fared in camp and all the rest of it? I've I've heard pretty positive reviews, actually. He's going up against the house, like Sofuilo and Ridley, and you know, they're surprised. Because one thing coming out of college, they're kind of questioning his physicality, like the line mm-hmm. scrimmage. And someone, as you know about Dan Quinn, he loves those long, lanky corners, guys that can play physical. So he wants these guys that have long arms that are very rangy, guys that could just run straight across the straight line, you know, 
if there's a say like a lob to say like a guy like DK Metcalf, he wants a corner to be physical enough and break up the pass or get up and go get it. But it's just these corners, some of them aren't as physical. So that was kind of like the questions with Terrell. But so far, he seems to be competing well. But uh, as for the pick, it's funny. Like the Falcons, they kind of have their own way of rankings. Like yeah. you know, they have Chris Lindstrom, Keon Neal. These are players, Tack McKinley. They weren't high up on people's draft boys. They're actually more considered second-round talents. Yet Dan Quinn's like, all right, I'm going to take him because that's my guy. You know, other than Calvin Ridley and, ironically, Vic Beasley of all people, like those were only two draft picks, you know, first-rounders in the Quinn Dimitrov era where they were kind of in that first-round range. So, yeah, Terrell pick kind of took people off guard, but obviously the need at corner was there. And it's a little concerned just because you're in a division with the likes of Tampa Bay and New Orleans and you don't, it's a lot of youth there. There are not a lot of veterans there. And it's going to be kind of, you know, you got Seattle, then they play Dallas week two. It's, they're going to be targeted right away because I consider mm-hmm. Dallas and Seattle to have the best receiving duos in the league. Of course, Tampa Bay and Atlanta are up there, but who could deny the talent Seattle and Dallas? So uh, Terrell better be ready. That's all I could say, especially going up against someone like a Ty Lockett or a DK Mecca. Yeah. Um, so, what what are what are your expectations on this season, and then this week more intently? Uh for season, it's hard to have high expectations. They're actually playing the hardest schedule, like the AFC West. They got the AFC West, and that's a division that got three playoff teams. Um, and then NFC South, you already know how difficult that is, and they play the second place. So they got the Vikings and the Cowboys, which I think is tougher than playing, say, the Eagles and the Packers. Yeah. So they got they got the tough end of it, and I just haven't seen enough improvements where it's, I could feel really confident. Like I do think the offense should be better, but there's just a lot of uncertainties, particularly in the secondary and linebacker depth as well. And Deion Jones is no real starter yet there. And then, of course, it's – Seems like an eternity now. Just the Falcons and their pass rush just always seems to be a good question marks there, especially with the lack of depth. But as for this week, I consider Seattle to be like a top three NFC team. I think they're right up there with the likes of New Orleans, San Francisco, and your know, Dallas Gale operates. Uh, Seattle, I think they're loaded. And I think it's just a matter of will Brown and Sean Niner open things up a little bit because, as you know, he's very conservative. He loves yep. running the ball. Yep. It's just with a talent like Russell Wilson that receiving corpse, I just think you got to let loose at some point. And this is a defense where – Plays are bound to happen. So, uh, no, I do expect Seattle to win. I just think I wonder how they're going to operate offensively. And how will they also, I guess, distribute the carries because Carson's come up with serious injury and he is such a physical specimen. Like Chris Carson is as violent as it gets. So I do wonder, you know, to bring him in slowly. Maybe he's close high a little bit. But mm. I, do, I do expect Seattle to put up a lot of points. I think it's just a matter of if this game is a shootout, um, you know, who will get last possession. But I do think ultimately Seattle – I think I think Chris Carson's a Georgia boy as well, isn't he? I think he's. Let me. I can look that up because I'm not sure. Because he he was wasn't he like a seventh round pick? Like he yeah, was not... he was. He, he went to Oklahoma State, but I'm almost certain he was a. They say he was born in Missouri. Actually, oh, okay. I haven't, I haven't really heard much about no. him, but he was in some trade. Ironically, maybe he was part of the Tack McKinley because I remember Atlanta traded up with for first round pick with Seattle to get Tack McKinley. Yeah. They traded a seventh round pick, and that seventh round pick ended up being Chris Carson. So, yeah. know, Seattle <laughs> nailed the running backs. I know it hasn't quite worked out with Penny, but you know, no. they got Jem and Carson. I'm a huge fan of Chris Carson. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, the, the main connection, really, with this Seahawks team and this Falcons team is is that head coach, Dan Quinn. He's someone who was 
with, alongside Avril and Bennett was such a massive part, I think, in that Legion of the Boom era. He was, I mean, I don't think we've seen a defence. One reason, obviously, all those players left in certain different mm-hmm. fashions, but Dan Quinn was a, a different breed to what we've had, really, at, uh, um, at DC. Even with Gus Braddy, I think Dan Quinn is easily the best one we've had under Pete. Um, so that, that connection is still strong. It's probably, I'm guessing it's going to, something's going to come up when Pete talks to the reporters as well. But what, what is the feel around Dan Quinn? And how, obviously, there's still a lot of chat four or five years on about how Pete handled and moved on from 49. How do you think that's going to be something that stays with D, DQ as well? How What happened in that also a Patriots Super Bowl? Oh, uh, well... After what happened a few years ago in the Super Bowl, I think he's still thinking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think anyone will ever let go of what happened with the whole twenty three. But uh, I think the feeling about Quinn, because Quinn, he just keep, that first year they were slowly building. I think the team just didn't have enough talent because remember they started out five and zero, and then they end up being eight and eight. But he quickly changed things that second year. Like everyone likes to say, oh, the whole he has these catchphrases, fast and physical, brotherhood. But look, when your team is scoring 30, 40 points a game and defense is creating turnovers and you're pretty much wrecking teams like that, 2016 team was special. And then they made the playoffs in 2017, beat a couple of good, really good teams. But it's just the last two years, they've been at the playoffs race since mid to late November like they've not been the playoff on even in December and that's just that's really concerning for any team let alone team but the time they have and just you know, the fact that you have a franchise quarterback and superstar receiver and you're just coming back you know you're coming off years where you should won the Super Bowl and then you're you know that Philadelphia game I would say Steve Sarkeesian was a big reason behind them blowing it so you know the goal from being one of the top contenders to nine being the playoff race in December has been really worrying. And you know, I think Quinn is firmly on the hot seat, I would say, besides maybe like a Matt Patricia and Gase, he's probably right up there. So, um, yeah, he's – I think people will like – I think people generally like Quinn as a person. He's a very likable person. But I think it now it's just now or never. Like people were kind of surprised he actually still has the job. But <laughs> at the end of the day, they won – you know, they had a couple of impressive wins being New Orleans and San Fran. That kind of, and the players stuck by him. Players absolutely love Dan Quinn. But I think it comes to a point where it's just like, is he going to change up? Can he make the adjustments? Uh, will him riding on certain first-round town and now his coaches with their cutter, you know, is it going to come back to haunt them? So, uh, I, like, I think there's a lot of pessimism. You know, people do like Dan Quinn, but eventually it gets to a point where it's just like, this team was on the verge of something special. And now it seems like they're in, like, this – and they're just in like uh, mediocrity, I guess is a safe word you use. They just seem like they're in a puddle of mediocrity where it's just like they can't really escape it. And I, I don't know. I I do fear the worst for him come December because I just don't see his team moving for us. Yeah, but also, also the owner has a big part to play. I think if he was a coach of certain other teams who play in domes, I don't think he'd still be coached. But Arthur Blank seems to get it more than a lot of owners, doesn't he? He seems to understand the process, I guess, more than... Is that fair? Um, I'm not sure. Like, I'm stumped at that. I think Arthur Blank is very patient. He used to be, I guess, a little more, I guess, aggressive or forward-thinking when mm-hmm. it came to just making more direct decisions. But I just think he saw – because 
what Dan Quinn did in 2016, that, that was like the greatest year in franchise history. Yes, they made the Super Bowl in the 98 season, but I think that team was a little uh, – grand. I was five years old at the time, so take my word for it. But just from talking to other people and doing research, that team was very fortunate to beat the Vikings, and they were a little more run-heavy. Like, I think the Falcons, that 2016 season, they were definitively the best team, you know, just how they proved against Seattle and Green Bay blowing them out or with Seattle definitively beating them. I don't think that was quite a blow. The Green Bay game, that game was over by third quarter. So I just think they saw what was so special and just see how it ended with the Georgia Dome and, you know, in 2017, getting through the diversity, making the playoffs, being a very good Rams team, and then, you know, should have probably beat Philadelphia, which ended up winning the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Blank just, he looks at that, just seeing how much it changed Atlanta, you know, shifting from Mike Smith, who had a long tenure there, and just quickly be, becoming this, like, real Super Bowl contender. So I think what happened in 2016, 17 is kind of still in, Arthur Blank's mind and maybe some of the improvement in 2019, the later stages of it is reason why he's kind of remained loyal to him. But I think the pressure is still very much on. And I just don't see how coach goes three straight years with that roster and comes back. Like, because look, I think you see across the league, just when it comes to wind that franchise quarterback, Atlanta has had that for so many years. And then you have this star receiver and then you have a couple of budding pieces here. It's just at some point you look at the roster, it's like, Okay, there are holes, but you see some of the other teams that make the playoffs in the NFC and the AFC, it's just like, you got to get there. You got to try to elevate the offensive line, elevate the defensive line, and maybe another superstar could be built on, whether it be linebacker or corner. So, um, anyways, to wrap it up, I would say Arthur Blank, he, this is pretty much a make or break year. He's kind of just bank on the fact of 2016, 2017, I guess, reveling in the success of that and kind of instilling that faith where I go, okay, can you get us back to there? Yeah. Uh, one thing has come up, uh, not pretty consistently through Seahawks training camp is DK Metcalf in his second year. And there's one comparison which pops up more often than not. And obviously someone who's watched the, the player he's compared to in Julio Jones, the little bits of you you probably may have seen of DK from his rookie and obviously his time at Ole Miss, do you see those comparisons? Obviously, Megatron's also popular, but Julio Jones, right. we, we had a Seattle journalist on, on our last pod and he said this, he needs to talk to his Atlanta guys to see if that <laughs> makes sense because it does to him that Julio just just bigger and better than everyone else on the field he faces. And with Seattle is they were nationally televised, I would say almost more than any team. Like, I feel like the Seahawks were on TV like nationally, like whether it be Monday night, Sunday night, the 425 slot, they had to play at least like eight games. So I watched a lot of Seahawks football that year. <laughs> and I, there are definitely some similarities. Uh, I would just, I would think Metcalf maybe could prove obviously the whole route running. Like he seems a little one dimensional there, but you know, from what I've heard, he's really seems to be working on his craft because you know, Julio did come into the league pretty raw like Metcalf. Now, obviously, Julio was a top 10 pick in the mm. second round. But just their physical measurements and how dangerous they are after a catch. Like, that's the one thing that I love about Metcalf is just how dangerous he is after a catch. With the stiff yeah. arms, it just yeah. – you're not bringing that guy down initially. Like, he's going to be up there among the yak leaders, even though he's someone that you as a vertical threat. So, mm. yeah, I would say the summaries are, are real. I would just like to see Metcalf improve as a route runner, maybe his hands. I don't know how many drops he had last year, but you know, it didn't seem like – yeah, it didn't seem like he was most consistent when it came to catching passes. But I think just – what he could do after a catch and just how he could just with his overall stature, the way he 
out physicals, yeah. uh, opposing corners, there are definitely some areas to Julio. So, yeah, I think there is comparisons. Yeah, I definitely think it's real. I just now you just want to see, you know, how it can improve as a route runner because you, know, you could be this physical specimen, but how you create separation really separates the very good receivers to the great ones. So I want to see how Metcalf you know, just improves as just as a route runner as a whole. Yeah, I mean, he was. I think he was. I think he. 40 yards away from a thousand yard season last year and he still had I think seven eight like drops that are on him kind of thing so yeah mm-hmm. like he's 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 an exciting player and someone who I um cast aspersions on far too quickly but also on DK and you said about his, uh, his route running I think we did a whole podcast on when he ran a route on the right side of the field last year so yeah I think that kind of <laughs> that, that was something we we kind of tracked and followed but yeah he's, he's an exciting player to watch but obviously watching Julio must, it must be one of the funniest things a sports fan can do, isn't it, over the last yeah. 10 years? A quick thing, back to the whole right side. Was that against the Eagles? Because I remember, didn't they seal the win against Philly where I just remember Wilson threw no, a it, it, it was, I, I think it was Cleveland. He only ran one. Okay. But like, I think Matt Harmon does all the next gen and stuff on Twitter. Yeah, he's great. But yeah. like, look, there's one, he's, 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 <laughs> he's learning, he's getting there. Then, yeah, the Eagles maybe, playoff game was different. Maybe it was a slop. I remember they, to end the game against Philadelphia. Yeah, he did. Wilson hit Metcalf deep. And I do remember it was like from the right, I don't know if you ran yeah. like a post from the right to the middle yeah. field. I just remember being in the middle field. But, uh, yeah. but oh yeah, Julio, it's, He's enigma. Like it's just what you expect greatness every time he gets on the field. Yeah. It's just between how he separates to how he just gets up, go gets it against you know any sorts of corners. You know, playing double team zone coverage. You know, they've used him in the slot quite a bit more, which you see, I think, with a lot of star receivers. It'll be interesting if they can eventually use Metcalf. I know Ty Lockett is just so dangerous out of the slot. So it's like you know you have the options are limited, endless in Seattle. But with Julio, what more can you say? It's just more of you know you've become accustomed to his greatness in terms of what he could do, whether it's on the outside or in the slot yeah. or what he could do after a catch. Like it's just, it, there's, it's endless what you could do with him. It's just more effective. Uh, you know, is he going to get eight targets one week? Is he going to get 14? You, know, <laughs> you try to manage his targets. And you know, there are times where he comes off the field because you just try, try to manage it because he does get dinged up a little bit, even though, you know, other than last year where I believe he missed one game, he really hasn't missed much time outside 2013 where he broke his foot you know, for someone that gets kind of dinged up a bit where you see him kind of lingering on the sidelines, still banged up. You know, he hasn't missed games. So I think you know, when it comes to this watching Julio, you just got more of a greatness because, you know, I know guys like Devontae Adams and, you know, Michael Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins are, you know, they're phenomenal with it, but I just don't think when it comes to, like, a game-changing ability, when someone, like, anywhere on the field, he could go to, to the end zone, I don't think they could do what Julio does. And no, I agree. I think that's what makes him great. And, you know, he's 31 now, but I still expect at least another three or four years before we see him eventually do it. Yeah, like, like, like I said at the start, he's, I think he's the best receiver in the league. I think it's close between him and Hopkins, but, I mean, if, if – he somehow ends up in the NFC West. I think I'd cry with uh, Hopkins <laughs> here and the quarterbacks and everyone yeah. else in the NFC West. I, I assume you do not like Bill O'Brien, much like Texas. <laughs> you cannot, you well, cannot no, be thrilled well, with Bill O'Brien at the moment. Well, we, we, we did last year when he gave us Clowney for uh, Bacchivius Mingo, but obviously that is a sort of... That was of, a one-year run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a sore subject uh, on this podcast, I think. But, uh, but yeah, uh, so like... I mean, obviously, this game is happening. It seems obviously mm-hmm. it's good change. But are you surprised that it is actually happening the twenty twenty season? Uh, because, yeah, because, because I, I guess maybe it's happening more 
at home field because I would think they would, you know, my whole vision would be like, okay, why not have one neutral site in the Northeast, one on the West Coast, one the South, one the Midwest, and one somewhere else. Like, I'm thinking, let's not have these teams travel so much. Let's have them in like certain locations. Yeah try to manage it through that so maybe i'm a little surprised maybe it's still happening in atlanta like maybe i kind of expect them to be more neutral venues yeah. where it's like keep them more in a condensed area and just away from everything like not having from people so i think the one surprise would be i'm, I'm surprised it's happening still at the mercedes-benz superdome or yeah, dome well, i should yeah well well the seahawks play uh, they play atlanta they play in miami they play in buffalo and in washington oh that's not good yeah so that's that's like i think i think the I think it's a revisit every week kind of deal, isn't it, at the minute with everything. Obviously, yeah. it's, it's kind of worked in baseball after a worrying start. Obviously, the bubbles in NBA and NHL have been, especially the NBA one, has been unbelievable. So. Yeah, it's been good. It's just the thing was with, between roster size, coaching size, and then just, you know, equipment team, management team. It's just there's so much with football where it's like there's no way they could do a bubble. But uh, I, I do wonder, like, could they have done, like, neutral venues in certain locations like just try to manage it because they had plenty of time to figure it out when it came to just managing the schedules like okay let's see the west coast games let's see the east coast games what games happen in south week in week out but i think i don't know whether it's just nfl they're gonna kind of push like you've heard it from like miami and in dallas where it's like no we plan on having fans it's just like i don't think that's possible no. let's see what could happen november december but i don't know some like Franchises are very just – they're hard-headed. They want to just yeah. try to make profit in any way possible. Yeah. And that, yeah. and maybe that's the case. So, yeah, I'm, I think I'm more surprised the fact that it's still happening in a huge dome. Like, like I've never been to Atlanta's new stadium, but it is massive. And it's just going to be weird. Just, there's a lot of massive stadiums, but this one, like, people – you could talk to me before. It's like they – so they say like the lands new stadium it's like above and beyond like besides Dallas it's like the most absurd sort of venue where it's just <laughs> you're just looking around you're just like I can't believe it's going like it's a bit of a tourist attraction as, as well like the fans will just go around especially given the last two years like fans will get disinterested in the games and go walk around <laughs> there I know it sounds crazy but that's just how it is but but uh, I think that's the biggest surprise but as the game itself I think I kind of always had like, you know, the NFL, they're very hard-headed. They're always going to figure out a way to make sure the season goes on. So, yeah, I guess let's just enjoy it. Yeah, I, like, yeah, I, I don't think, talking to the guys who cover the Seahawks, I don't think there's much in way of the journalists traveling the road games. I think they're just staying at home and reporting mm-hmm. from their couches kind of thing. So that's kind of one thing which is altered. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised. that I, yeah. I can't believe the Seahawks are going to be traveling East Coast and back five yeah. times. I think unless you work with the team where you're working for like a huge media outlet, that's the only way like you're really traveling for games. Yeah. Cause I just think people got to take all the precautions possible because there's just so much going on, especially traveling wise. But, but no, I'm, I've, I feel bad for Seattle. <laughs> it's, it's bad enough. You have to do those trips and they you know, the whole one o'clock cause it is mm. proven like West coast teams do struggle with the whole one o'clock uh, change. But it's just I don't envy anyone traveling right now five, six hours around. That's the problem I have. Yeah. Uh, score prediction for Sunday? I'll go – see, if Seattle had a better pass rush, I would 
<laughs> I think it's Borlaug side, but they, my, see, that's the one huge hole I have. There's just, I don't know anyone there front. Like, I like Jerron Reed. I know they got Bruce Irvin back, but there's a lot of questions up front. But I'm excited about seeing Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner. Like, you know, whoever's running a route in the middle of the field, I do not envy that player. <laughs> you have two. And KJ Wright's still there. KJ yeah. Wright, he's, he's dipped a little bit, but he's still, uh, he's still a quality player to me. But, but Wagner and Jamal Adams, oof, man. But uh, I'll go, give me 34 27 Seattle. Oh, I, 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 I think that's kind of the ballpark I'd go in as as well. But um, yeah, it, where, where can people get in touch with you and follow you? And because obviously, I said you used to work for the Falcoholic. You, yeah. you still do any writing for Falcons or? Uh, at the moment, like I'm kind of in transition. I can't really talk about things right now, given contracts and such. But uh, I'll still be doing something with the Falcons regardless this season. But uh, you can find me at Alan underscore Stirk. That's A-L-L-E-N underscore S-T-R-K. Yeah, I'm kind of – because I know we got football tomorrow. And it's going to be always going back to that grind, just Thursday, Saturday, yeah, and then yeah. Monday. And then, you know, we'll have some Saturday games here and there. So just balancing that's going to be key. And, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to some of the primetime games. You know, like, I think Dallas Rams should be kind of – Cool. Yeah, I mean, talking of the ludicrous stadiums, that is somewhat ludicrous as well. That new, oh, the Rams one. Oh yeah, yeah. what a letdown! Like, just they're, they're <laughs> finally opening up because, because man, I did not like whoever they're playing on. That field will always get messed up. Yeah, the turf, the, wherever they yeah. played that college game. Like, I remember yeah, yeah. I'm talking to Mohammed new one time. He said that was like the worst field they ever played on, and it was a playoff game, nevertheless. Like, they were playing on playoff game where it just muddy. It just, I know yeah. football, it's all about you have to adjust and you have to handle mother nature, but I just think with all all the money these organizations have, the one thing you can do if the weather's fine, you gotta make sure your field's right. We're using graft, turf, uh, astro, whatever kind of uh, field you're using, it's like at least have the conditions right. Like, all right, we can't control the weather. But when I see like a team like Miami or like with the Raiders and that ridiculous baseball stadium or even the Rams, it's like at least let these players run on good grass yeah. or turf. Like, that's the one thing we can do. That, so, yeah, it's me, especially that haven't played for nine, ten months as well. The muscles are going to be. Right. Uh, but obviously, two things to maybe give Falcons fans and yourself some hope. The Seahawks are not good in week one road openers under Pete Carroll and are even worse in September uh, games in general. They, they are... Didn't they almost lose to a bad Bengals team? Yeah, bad Bengals team, a bad Dolphins team two, three right. years ago as well. They lost to Broncos in Denver two years ago and stuff. So they're not... They're not very. Uh, I mean, the first Russell Wilson game was against the Cardinals in the desert, and it's the last time they lost in Arizona as well. So, I mean, that's just a just maybe a bit of something to hang the Falcons hat on because the, the one thing Seattle's anchor that is week one. Yeah, the thing I think NFL in general, week one, there's always a three or four shocks. Like, yeah. there's always some team that falls apart. Like, I remember one year it was Monday night. Like San Francisco was expected to be like the worst team in the league, and Minnesota was like this bloody <laughs> team, and like San Fran won like twenty eight to three, or like I don't, know, they did, I don't know if it was a shutout or the Vikings got a field goal, but it was bad. But I don't know, week ones always brings up a couple of surprises. So you like because you know about the whole week one of reactions. Uh, I think it's more just about you know keep keep things gauged, but uh, always. Like if if your team falls apart week one, it's like okay, look, it could, it could be a complete shock value. Especially like you have to 
also take into account, like, I'm shocked. I'm wondering how bad the tackling's going to be. Like, that's the thing, because everyone's talking about no preseason. What's the biggest yeah. thing? I think tackling's going to be disastrous. Yeah. So, uh, I know NFL fans are fickle. They're expecting their team, especially if you're a team that's expected to be contenders. Like, I want to see results immediately, but let's see how September goes, because I think just getting the fundamentals down, particularly tackling, it's going to be a bit of a process. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I massive, massively appreciate you jumping on and uh, preaching the good Falcons gospel to us for half an hour or so. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, you. And uh, yeah, I, I expect big things at SCL this year. So it's cool talking <laughs> Falcons. Like I do think Seattle is going to be very good. I, I do have, I think I picked them to win the division actually. So uh, yeah, I think it's going to be exciting game. Uh, I do think Seattle's a better team, but yeah. uh, given Seattle's defense is a little shaky and just some of the matchups, I do think it should be fairly competitive. Yeah, cool. Yeah, but I think that comment's going to get you a few extra followers on Twitter as well. So. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Cheers, Alan. Thank you. So yeah, massive thanks to Alan for jumping on. Make sure to follow him. He does produce some pretty good uh, content on Falcons, obviously, in particular. Yeah, and it was really fun chatting with him made me look forward to week one a little bit more than chatting to Adam has uh, and does to be quite honest but never mind uh, but yeah uh, yeah. so just quick spin in the bin Adam let's do it do you want to kick off yeah I mean no one cares about anyone's fantasy draft by themselves but unfortunately uh, I end up having to auto draft pretty much all the way in our league because of a, a drive to somewhere else at the M25 so it could be anywhere uh, didn't end up too great so that team can probably and will end up staying in the bin for the majority of the season but that, hey ho what are you, you going to do about it yeah well, at least you didn't draft Kenny auto draft at least you weren't auto selected Kenny Galladay in the second round like one of the other guys in that league was because that was a weird thing to witness when we rolled the dice and how he's decided that this year um, yeah I mean it's, it's just I think I think anyone just throwing off the Roger Goodell, Emmanuel Acho thing is good from Goodell and Acho to a lesser extent can kind of get in the bin. Cause it's just, it's, it's another example of people kind of just missing the point. I mean, I've watched both parts. I've watched the behind the scenes stuff they released last night and it's just, it's candy floss, Adam. Mm. You do feel like a lot of this, you know, action stuff is very much what the NFL want it to be. Uh, and they're very much controlling the narrative on this, which it's not really what you want. It's kind of in the same way as when the Milwaukee Bucks postponed, uh, you know, boycotted their game. The NBA then turned around and postponed all the games. And that's not really what the Bucks were trying to achieve. Like it didn't really make as much of a point when the game's just like, okay, we'd just play all these tomorrow. That's, that's not what they were trying to achieve. And, I think the NFL, you know, they're a multi-billion dollar corporation. As all these corporations do, they, they find a way to control the narrative. And I think with this stuff, with Acho and Goodell, you know, actions speak louder than words. And we've not seen an awful lot of action to, to back yeah. up the words. And the, the narrative is completely theirs now. In the same way as like the every Premier League game where someone just kneels down for eight seconds, the league have now controlled the narrative. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's a shame going forward because... Uh, it's not going to change anything. No. But also over here, there doesn't seem to be, because also Jamal Adams spoke out pretty eloquently in his press conference last week. Obviously had Kaepernick, Russell Wilson spoke pretty well on it and just in Seattle, but obviously got players league-wide 
speaking on it pretty eloquently. There doesn't seem to be that in the Premier League. Everything is so media dictated by like the in-house in te- every team's media team, isn't it? So it's it's yeah. kind of it's, it's weird that that lack of freedom kind of thing. But it's yeah, um, yeah. I mean, but Kaepernick's in Madden, so at least that's something. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what's he doing? What can you can you pick him up? Yeah, you can sign him, and if you do his signature celebration, he does the Black Power salute. Nice. Which is possibly not what Kaepernick. I mean, Kaepernick giving giving a shit about that is probably what you give. It's like you and Russell Wilson with the MVP. <clears throat> it is amazing that no one's picked him up just from the PR standpoint. I, I do find that to be quite bizarre that the NFL haven't just you know. I heard Mike Florio talking about. Uh, in the past, you know, teams have been encouraged to just pick a player up. I think um, it's in Michael Sam, uh, the, the, when the Rams drafted him, it was yeah. kind of a, you know, do us a favour with this and we'll give you a bit of exposure or whatever. It is amazing that no one's done that with Kaepernick, and especially earlier in the season when you could just bury the PR so easily. Not allow journalists in the bloody locker room. It would have been so easy. And then the game start, and then you're there. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, it's, it's deep open goal of all open goals and it kind of goes I think the point Mike Dugan made on the podcast is made on Twitter as well that the only thing that matters is what the owners want to do and that's kind of still the case I mean Pete's still talking about what Jody Allen can do and what she's doing but we get to hear it and like she should be the first one to step up but if anyone's going to do it then it'd be kind of cool to be the person at the front of our team wouldn't it couldn't agree more couldn't agree more yeah, anything else NFL-wise that caught your attention? Obviously, college football started in some form and manner. Uh, SMU played a game last week, I think. But it's 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 as you say, this Premier League and English football season kicks off this weekend. The NFL season kicks off this weekend. College football, it's all kind of weirdly continuing while the whole world continues to be in a weird side yeah. of spin. I mean, the first game is tomorrow night. Unbelievable! It's ridiculous. Just can't believe it's here already. No. Um, interesting story about Odell Beckham released this morning, which uh, may be one that we can encourage our loyal listener slash listeners to go and look up themselves so we don't sully the airwaves too, too much. Is there, is there any chance that he releases this shit? Because it's Look, every year. Be very careful with the words you're using there, Stu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be very, I think that's not, he wasn't on releasing, and that was the whole point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was not intended. But is there any way that he could like? Because it seems every year there's a really weird Odell Beckham story. So if they if this is what he gets up to, which obviously it's uh, more power to him. But like, I don't know. It, I just have a feeling that he's behind. He just he's just sitting there laughing at all everyone. I mean, watching Adam Schefter tweet about it was the funniest thing of everything. I think. Yeah, well, that, sure, that, that can go in the bin. I've really started getting frustrated by, and I know we say this every year, but the race last night when Von Miller went down injured, like the race of the NFL insiders to to tweet out about how quickly they can talk about someone's potential career being over, and you know, yeah, he's got no dead money or no, no dead money next year, no cap hit. You know, he's probably going to lose his job next year, Von Miller, and yeah, I'm sure he's made hundreds of millions of dollars, and maybe he can cope with it, whatever. But it, it's it's horrible, and you got. Dr. David Chow, you know, with his offering his insight on the diagnosis. And it, if there's one thing I really don't like, it's kind of the, the celebratory backslapping nature of how quickly one can 
put one can report an injury. I, I think that's just poor, in poor taste, if I'm honest. Yeah, it is. But also, did you see where Ian Rappaport got given breaking news and was still second to report it? <laughs> I didn't see that. I think him and Groffalo, Groffalo broke it per sources given to me and Ian Rappaport and Groffalo tweeted it first. It's, it's amazing. You must know. It's amazing. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's everything. NFL's back. NFL fancy's back. And you get to watch your beloved Spurs from your... Probably, probably where you are now, isn't it? Very much so. In the sports room. <laughs> Officially named. Yeah, and no Amazon TV cameras to stage uh, Sky Sports' new vignettes any, this year either. Probably not. I don't think so. <laughs> don't think so. Hopefully not anyway. But yeah, if people want to get involved with the podcast, they can. And obviously, at this point, probably won't. But if you want to, uh, UK Seattle Seahawks fans, at Seahawks UK, and the Pedestrian Podcast is on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and hopefully in a few weeks, a few other places as well. Also, we've got a Zoom hang watch-along thing for the game on Sunday night. All the details of that are on the Facebook page in the under the events tab. So yeah, enjoy the game, whichever corner of the world you are watching it from. The Seahawks kick off 2020 season and we'll be back to dissect it in ways that only we can next week before the Patriots week two game. This has been the Pedestrian Podcast. I think for the fifth season running, go Hawks. Go Hawks.